a lot of good messages for us in that little short video sermon. Two of them I want to highlight for you. First of all, it's never too late with God. You're never too far gone with God. You may have walked in here today, and the world is on your shoulders. And God can take it off and change you. You're never too far gone with God. And secondly, somebody has to make a difference. I love the picture of that little girl working through those people. Somebody has to be her. Take your Bibles and go with me to Matthew chapter 6. We take another step now. It's actually the third step as it relates to this uh, petition that Jesus is teaching us about, this part of our ongoing prayer life that has to be there. And essentially what he says to us are those two truths. First of all, you're never too far gone with God. You're never too far over the edge, but that God can reach down and bring you back to life. But he also goes on to say to us, somebody's got to make a difference. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then I jump down to the commentary that Jesus gives on that. Verse 14, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What do you do with all of that? Well, I want to highlight a couple of things today, and particularly what I want us to see here is two primary truths. First of all, forgiveness is forgetting. Now, particularly what I want you to see on the screen there, we've, we've shown it to you here. It's, there's a space in there. We often take it forgiveness is forgetting as if, okay, I don't remember that stuff anymore. That violates, listen to me carefully, that idea of forgiveness is forgetting violates the Rotrammel family motto that I learned as a young child. Forgive and forget, but always remember. <laughs> Tell me that's not the way of the world. Forgiveness is for space getting. We'll talk about that in just a second. But also, forgiveness is forgiving, which sounds like double speak, except there's a space in there also. Let's look at that as we move forward here. First of all, the forgetting part of it. Now, we've already been talking about this. This is now the third sermon on this little section of Scripture. One of the reasons that I wanted us to spend three weeks on it uh, is because it is such a huge part of our society in this day. We tend to be enamored with finding fault with people. We are tied to fixing blame when something goes wrong. And ultimately, we move towards that part of us that says somebody has to pay for this. That's true in legal context. It's true in corporate context. And it's true in personal context as well. As we go into this today, I want, I want to start with the forgiving part of forgiveness. Because I believe that it's very possible that some of us have walked in here today and we're carrying, even though we've talked about it for a couple of weeks, we're shouldering a load of guilt that is eating us up from the inside. 
We talked about debt last week, and that's how Jesus gives it in verse 12. But, but beyond that, we bring this stuff with us, and, and it's like we can't get out from under it. And every time we turn around, one of the songs that we sang earlier, it, it talks about Satan as he just hammers home our guilt for us, and it's like we can't get away from it. Nobody's ever too far gone but that God can reach out and bring them back to life. Forgiveness is forgetting. You need it. We need it. We all need it. Nobody in here is a bigger sinner than the preacher standing in front of you. And I need it just like you need it. Needing it and getting it sometimes are two different things. So wherever you are today as you come in here, I want to just drive this point home for you. You're never too far gone with God. You know, there's a passage of Scripture. We're not going to go there. I'm just going to kind of relate it to you. It's over in Matthew chapter 18. starts in verse 23. And, and it's this parable that Jesus tells. Now, it follows hard on the heels of that thing that we all know about. Simon Peter looks to Jesus and he says, How often should I forgive my brother? Remember that part of Scripture? Now, what Simon Peter is asking... Oh, by the way, he finishes up and says, Seven times... Like, I'm going to be super holy here and say seven times I should forgive somebody. And my question is, what about the eighth time? Because most of us live for the eighth time. The fact that we're keeping track of the seven tells us that something's not exactly right there. We're going to get to the giving part in just a minute. Simon Peter hits it at this point. Uh, How many times? In other words, how do I get off of the hook on forgiving people? Jesus responds to that by telling a parable. And there was a king, and there's a guy, and the guy owes the king more money than the guy could ever possibly dream of making in a year's time or maybe even in a lifetime. And, and so he comes before the king, and the king says, it's time for you to pay up. Do you remember the parable? It's time for you to pay up. And the guy says, I can't pay, but if you'll just have mercy on me, I'll work for it. I'll promise you I'll do all I can do. And the king looks at him and says he has mercy on him, compassion. And he says, okay, you're forgiven. And the guy rejoices with that. And he leaves with a heart full of release. How long has it been since you felt that kind of release from your sin? You know, really, one of the things that happens for us is we medicate our guilt. And we medicate it with a lot of different things. Sometimes we medicate it with people, and sometimes we medicate it with medicine. Sometimes we medicate it by working hard or playing hard, and we fill our our whole lives with stuff so that we don't have to get alone with God and own our guilt. The good news of this passage, Jesus says, as you pray, a continuing part of the way that you pray is, God, forgive me of my debts. And that's a moral debt. It's a sin debt that we have. It's an interesting term, this word here. We talked about last week. Remember the catch and release part of that? That it's it's just like it's there and then it's gone. Interestingly, the missionaries that went into Labrador, the Labrador region, which is up, I'm told I'm now, I can't even say the word, yeah, that's the one. Uh, 
towards the North Pole. And they go up there, these missionaries do, and they go into this particular group of Eskimo people and they're trying to relate the gospel to them. Trying to tell them about Jesus Christ and the fact that he died on a cross to forgive them for their sins, to create a life for them, to make a relationship with a holy God possible. And when they come into that Eskimo culture that they went into, they discovered there was no word in that culture for forgive. So they had to come up with some way to interpret that. And what they came to was this word. It was a word, and I don't know the Eskimo word, but here's the way it translates into English for us. They used a word that actually meant not being able to think about the wrong that was done. I'm I'm intrigued by that. Because one of the things that Satan does extremely well is to help me to think about the wrong that I've done. Is that true for you too? It just hovers over you. It's, it's like a sledgehammer when you wake up in the morning and you really need to be spending time with God and Satan hammers you and said, oh, but you know, you're not nearly good enough. You, you remember, you know, you're a wicked person. You know that's true. And before we even get started in the day, in a relationship with God, we're crippled by our guilt. Jesus says on a continuing basis, pray this way, and Father, release me from what I owe, that sin debt of mine. The word is to cancel, to release. I want you to think for a moment about the results of that. The results of guilt are the things we talked about before that isolates us and it makes us bitter and it destroys our relationship with other people. But the results of forgiveness are such that we get peace in our lives. How long has it been since you had real peace? We get restored relationships, empowerment in our lives. Forgiveness is for the getting in our lives. But there's another part of this I want us to zero in on today. Most of what I just said is review. So before I go to this last part of this whole mini-series here, let me make sure that we're bringing this home. Right there where you sit today. How is it with you and God? Are you... As close in your relationship with God as you've ever been? If you're not, why not? Sometimes we settle in our Christian lives for an acceptable level of relationship, fellowship with God. But the fact of the matter is, if there was ever a time in your life that you were closer to God than you are today, then something's wrong today. And forgiveness of that sin debt that you owe is available to us. No matter what your picture on the screen that we saw, whether you're an addict or you're a greedy person or any of those other things that we saw on there, God says, I can release you from all of that. So if you're here today and you need to be released, you are in the right spot today. Because as one person said, the hound of heaven seeks you out today. And forgiveness is yours for the getting. So before we go any further, just stop right there where you are and ask yourself, is he talking to me? 
Is there something in your life where this is resonating in your hearing this morning and you're hearing this going, no, surely I'm too far gone. Nobody is too far gone. Forgiveness is forgetting. So get it. The other part of this, and this is the part that really starts kind of giving us a little bit of trouble, I think, is the giving part of it. You see, here's my basic belief. I believe that most Christian people love to spend time at the foot of the cross claiming forgiveness. I mean, you'd be crazy not to, wouldn't you? It'd be be crazy if forgiveness is available to you. It'd be crazy for you to carry around guilt all the time. So you ought to make yourself comfortable at the foot of the cross uh, appreciating the forgiveness that God gives to you. But it's the second step that we don't really like to go there too much. This is the forgiveness is forgetting, excuse me, forgiving. Look at this verse again, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, this is a comparative kind of a thing. The language here is something that we need to kind of camp out on just a little bit to make sure we're really understanding what Jesus is saying. Now, this statement, now we're going to be in verse 12 first before we go to the other two. But in verse 12, where Jesus is talking about how to pray on a regular basis, the way he says this is not, forgive us our debts because we've forgiven our debtors. That's not what he says here. Now, here's a good point of information for you. In your personal Bible study, never overlook the little words. Sometimes the little words are full of great meaning for us. And here we have a two-letter word that has incredible impact in our lives. Forgive us our debts, and what's the word? As. As does not mean because we've forgiven other people. Now, it sounds like it's written that way just a little bit. But as here means in like manner. In other words... The prayer is, forgive us of our debts in the same way that we have forgiven others. Okay, just got deep in here. Let me me just do it this way. I want you to think about the worst sin that you've ever committed. Now, I'm going to wait for a few moments and let you search your memory banks. The worst sin that you personally have ever committed. In case you need a little nudge, this is the sin that if we could show it on these two screens, just a paragraph description of it, it would cause you to go live in your house and never show your face in public again. That's the sin I'm talking about. Okay? Got that in mind? Here's the question. How do you want God to handle that sin? Now, back to where I was a few moments ago. For those of us who like to make our campsite at the foot of the cross, then we say in that, okay, the blood of Jesus covers that. It's gone. Catch and release, canceled, all of those things, right? The way this word is used here, the word as, 
Forgive us our sins, that's one I just talked about, in like manner as we forgive or have forgiven others. So now I want you to go in your mind to the worst sin that somebody has committed against you. It's the one that would, if murder were legal, you'd consider it. How have you handled that particular offense against you? We've said a a number of times in all of this, life is about relationships. And sometimes our closest relationships serve to isolate us with somebody and then they hurt us and then we just cut ties with them and push them to the side. But our minds continue to work about that relationship and that break. So that person who has damaged you, how have you handled forgiveness with them? Now, the way Jesus says this is, forgive me of my own sin in the same way that I have forgiven those who have wronged me. Now, what this means, if you're carrying guilt around with you, then it can be released. It also means that if you're carrying accusations around with you, and if you're carrying around bitterness about somebody else and how they've treated you, if you can't let it go, it threatens the forgiveness that you're able to receive. Remember what I've said. Jesus now is talking about how we should pray. And in that, he's reminding us that we have the obligation to forgive people. And it is such an obligation that if we don't do that correctly, it impacts how we're willing to go to God for forgiveness. And we twist that. We camp out at the foot of the cross and we claim grace and mercy. And then oftentimes, because the hurt that somebody does to us is so intense, we just refuse to extend it out to them. Jesus is saying, you need to pray about that part of who you are. This unmerciful servant that we just, or excuse me, the the one that we were just talking about who got this forgiveness from the king, now we see that he is unmerciful because as that uh, parable continues, we find that he goes from that place in the royal courtroom and he goes out into his life and he comes face to face with a guy who owed him, uh, let's just say it's a day's wage just to help us understand the wording there. And he takes the guy and it says he chokes him. Give me what you owe me. And the guy says to him the same thing that he had said to the king. And the guy says to well, what would you expect him to say? I've been forgiven this incredible sum of money. You owe me a day's wage. What would you expect him to say when he says, I've been forgiven of mine. I then do what to you? I'll kill you if you don't pay me. That's what he says. Throws him in prison. The king responds by hearing that. And says to him, pulls him back in for an audience. That's not the kind of meeting you want with the king. And he says, why wouldn't you be just as gracious with him as I was with you? And he revokes the forgiveness. Now, there's a theological challenge for you. Forgiveness. It's one of those topics, I think, that we love to appropriate for ourselves, but boy, it gets sticky when we start talking about handing it off to some other people. Here's what I think is behind that part of us. 
Some of this is review for us, but it's so fundamental into how we live our lives that it's always going to be review for us. The essence of sin in our lives is control. It is that part of us that says, I will be God. I will be the one who calls the shots. Every one of us is eaten up with that problem. That's one of the, one of the ways I know that's true. Is because when I see some of you out on the highway, I know that you're looking at those speed limit signs and you're saying, in effect, doesn't apply to me. Now, I don't remember seeing many of you. Well, I don't see, I haven't seen any of you speeding out there, okay? Seen a few of you run red lights and that kind of stuff, but that's another story. Those traffic laws are there for a reason. But the control part of us says, well, they didn't understand that I'm behind schedule today when they made those laws. They didn't understand that I don't really like driving. Okay, now here's, here's my pet peeve. You want to know my, you want to makes me mad? Here's, here we go. You know that the state law says that you're not supposed to drive in the left lane if it's a two-lane deal where you, you know, right and left, divided highway. You're supposed to stay in the right-hand lane. Do you know that? I, I hate rolling roadblocks. You know what those are? It's where one person on one side is going 40 miles an hour and the other one's going 39. I want to say to them, your control problem is making me late. Now, whose control problem is at stake here? You see what I'm saying? It's so, it's, it, it manifests itself in simple ways for us. Mom says, clean your room. Uh, okay, I didn't need to go there. These kids have been at youth camp all week. They don't need that, okay? They look like prunes because it rained on them all week long. <laughs> our control orientation, the essence of sin in our lives, sets us up for problems in our interpersonal relationships. Well, not to mention our relationship with a holy God. So when it comes now down to this idea of our forgiveness factor and our dealing with other people, let's say your control problem gets so much a problem for you in your interpersonal relationships that somebody else offends you. In other words, they threaten your control. They don't do things according to the way you think they ought to be done. What do you do with that? Remember the great commandment, love the Lord your God, the, the, God first, the vertical part, but there's also the second part, love your neighbor as yourself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, over in verse 5, now you don't have time to go there, so let me just read it for you. There's a couple of statements. This is an ongoing discussion Paul has about love, and he gives these various characteristics, and in verse 5 it says, love does not insist on its own way. What does that have to do with control? It has Everything to do with control. So in this love relationship with God, I'm willing to bow the knee to him. That's worship. That's only right. But in extension of that, in my dealings with other people, I deal with them in love until I don't. And I violate the second great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, when I insist on my way with them. Love, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, Love does not insist on its own way. And then there's another statement here. And it says here resentful. It is not resentful. I really like the way the New American Standard and I think maybe the King James translate that little word there. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Reminds me of a story. Husband and wife. 
they were not really doing all that great in their relationship. And so they went to church. And at church, they were talking to some people there and they said, hey, let me tell you what they recommended that we do in our relationship to help this. It brought it all to light and it gave us the grounds we needed to work on this love for one another. He said, okay, we're willing, we're we're desperate, we'll try anything. What do you do? He said, okay, each of you get a box, a wooden box. You cut a, or it could be a shoe box or something like that. You cut a slot in the top of it. And each of you for one month, you keep your own box. And every time your spouse does something that, gets to you, I mean, just works you over, you write it down on a slip of paper and you drop it in the box. We call it a fault box. And so for a whole month, every time your spouse does something that gets to you, write it down, drop it in the box. Now, let me tell you, I'm going to interrupt the story. I'm going to be a pastor for a second. Don't do that, okay? Don't do that. So at the close of the month, after they've been doing this all month long, then they switch boxes and they sit down and they have then the basis <laughs> basis for a discussion about what the other person has written. Don't do this, all right? So they sit down. And remember, what started this was 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of the wrongs, right? So they sit down and the wife has been meticulous in this assignment. And so he sits down with the box that she's been filling up, and it's full, it's heavy, okay? And so he sits down, he pulls the top off, and he starts pulling these little slips of paper. There's a bunch of them in there. takes him a while. And so he gets things like, you know, didn't put your dishes in the dishwasher after you eat. (laughs) Who knew you're supposed to do that? But that's what he, so, okay, so that bothers her. Left your socks laying in the hallway. That's just one thing after another, okay? Didn't fill up my car with gas when it got low. I mean, he's just reading through these things. And every piece of paper that he pulls out and he reads just cuts him a little deeper. By the time he gets to the end of the box, he is totally defeated. Meanwhile, on the other side of the table, his wife has the box that... He had been filling. And he'd been pretty good at it too. I mean, he put a lot of stuff in the box. And so she opens it up and she pulls out one of those slips of paper and she reads it and she... Okay, so she puts it off to the side and she pulls another one out. And it says the same thing the first one did, but she didn't understand that one. She put it aside, pulls it out. The third one says the exact same thing. Every piece of paper in the box said the same thing. Every time something that she did got to him, he pulled a piece of paper and he wrote these words on it, I love you. And he put it in the box. Love keeps no record of wrongs. But you see, our version of love keeps meticulous records of wrongs. And the people that you're keeping records on need you to forgive. And if you will forgive, you'll be the little girl in the video that we just saw. And the implications of that are such that you free that person to love you in return.
When you get mad at somebody and bitter towards them and you hold stuff against them, it doesn't bother them. They don't care about that. But it makes you a bitter, 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 bitter person. You know how I know that? I know lots of bitter people in life. Forgiveness is forgetting, to be sure. But you can't stop there. It is for giving in return. Forgive us our debts in the same manner as we forgive those who are indebted to us. How do you want God to forgive you for that one thing? Is it the same way that you forgive other people or sort of forgive them or don't forgive them? This is a loaded verse, verse 12, before we ever even get to verses 14 and 15. And here we are, out of time, before we get to 14 and 15. See, as we come to this, let's go ahead and look real real quickly at verse 14 and 15. I'll make a comment and go. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Preacher, is that saying that it is conditional that I get forgiveness? Preacher, are you saying that I have a works-based salvation? Manly Beasley, some of you know the name. I think he even preached in this church. I'm not sure about that. But Manly Beasley uh, made a great statement one time at least in my hearing, he said good preaching doesn't answer all of the questions that people have. In fact, good preaching causes people to ask a thousand questions for a thousand years. So I'm not going to worry about the answer to the question of what I just threw out to you today. And the reason I'm not today is because first of all, I'm out of time. But secondly, I don't want us to miss the primary thrust of what Jesus is saying. You and I have responsibility to forgive people. It's not optional. Well, it's optional because you do get a vote in the matter. But the fact of the matter is, your unwillingness to forgive other people, it hurts your relationship with God. I said it this way, because I think this is probably the most uh, offensive way I can say it. And maybe that will help some people hear it enough to get mad at me, to want to come talk to me, and then we can get down to business, Okay. Consider Jesus Christ on a cross, bleeding, dying a horrific death, worse than we can even imagine. Why did he do that? The answer is God's love for you, for me, knew that that's the only way we could be forgiven. Had to be a sacrifice. He's the only one who could make the sacrifice. And so he came and he made the sacrifice because of his love for us, for you. So if that is what Jesus did for me, who do I think I am not to forgive somebody else that he loves just as much? In other words, that person that offended you, and I know some of you sitting there going to preach, you just don't, you're, you're, you're an idiot. You don't understand how badly that person hurt me. 
well, you think they hurt you worse than they hurt Jesus? And yet Jesus says, I forgive. You see, it is the epitome of pride for us to take the sacrifice that Jesus made for us and refuse to extend the same forgiveness to other people. Churches are full. I mean, churches are full of Christians who camp out at the foot of the cross and kick other people away from it when they tried to get there. And Jesus in this passage says, there are spiritual repercussions for that approach. Let's pray. My first question to you, by way of invitation, is have you received forgiveness? Did you walk in here loaded with guilt? Do you know that Jesus died on the cross for you? He loves you. And he says to you, forgiveness is yours today if you'll just receive it. You ask for it. Scripture says, if we confess our sin, we agree with him about what it is. He is faithful and just to forgive us, release us, pardon us, cancel the debt, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're here today and you're carrying a load of guilt with you, let it go. Come home. Take the responsible choice and ask for forgiveness. If that's you, I'm going to invite you in just a moment to just kind of make your way up here to the front. We'll talk about it. Maybe for the first time you're hearing about God's love through Jesus Christ and you know you need it and you want it. You just don't know how to get there. This invitation's for you. Just, to, just make your way up front here. We'll talk about it. Won't embarrass you or anything like that. Just want to help you unload the guilt. Forgiveness is forgetting Boy, we need to give it to It's very possible. Sitting in this room today, there are people who are at odds with one another because of some little something a long time ago. And it's destroyed fellowship between y'all. Right now, you need to get it right. If they're in this room, in just a moment when we stand up, I'm going to invite you to catch them and y'all just step outside and go find a Sunday school room or something and get it right between you. There's no reason in the world to continue to harbor bad feelings towards people when Jesus paid for the price of sin. Forgiveness is forgiving and you need to give it. And if they're not in this room, but you know there are some people like that in your life, I would encourage you before the day's over to get on the phone or get in your vehicle and drive over there and get it straight. Change some lives today by forgiving. Father, we ask you to help us. This is incredibly hard for us because we've swallowed a perception of who we are that is totally wrong. We make it about us and it's always about you. So help us. Is our prayer in Jesus' name.